This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome in to Inside Carolina Live's, ooh, Inside Carolina's live game plan podcast. Heels and Ducks in the Holiday Bowl, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Last time in 2022, Carolina and Oregon, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time from Petco Park. Greg, I'll come to you first. Let me take this stream starting soon banner out since we have begun. Um, I I feel like this is a big football game for North Carolina football. I I know what bowl games are seen as, um, but this one just feels to me a little different for North Carolina and for the program. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. you know, first of all, we're in this new era of transfer portal bowl games. Um, we, we know that the college football playoff is going to be expanding relatively soon. And then with all the, the chaos with the portal, the teams that take the field on Wednesday night are going to be a little bit different than, than what we saw during the regular season, both because of, of player attrition and coach attrition. You know, both of these teams are going to be lacking their offensive coordinators. Uh, so that's something that everybody's going to have to adjust to, and it's going to be a strange component. On top of that, to your point, this really is an important game for the Tar Heels. Uh, you know, North Carolina, after that losing season last year, in which they lost three straight games to FBS opponents to close the year, really kind of stumbled into the offseason after you know, a really good 2020 season in which they got to the Orange Bowl. Uh, and they really bounced back this year. Drake May had a, a large part to do with that, of course. But jumping out to a 9-1 and one record, uh, they were in the college football playoff, uh, more of a, a dark horse than anything. They were in the conversation, which is where everybody would love this program to be uh, annually. And then things just kind of fell off the wheels. Uh, the, the defense uh, continued to struggle. The offense really uh, just kind of hit a, hit a bump in the road when they started playing a little bit better defensive opponents. Uh, and so you have this this really bad streak to close out the year where you're 21-point favorite to Georgia Tech, you're up 17 to zip, you somehow lose that game at home. That should never happen. Uh, the NC State game, they shouldn't have, lose, shouldn't have lost that game. And then they really got embarrassed in the ACC championship game against Clemson. Uh, so really a, a tough stretch here. 
And if you're able to come into this Holiday Bowl and and beat Oregon, who while they do have a, a ton of defections and lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball, which we can get into, uh, that's still a formidable opponent. That's still a legitimate you know top ten type team, and you can really allow yourself to to feel good about how the season went. You would get to ten wins for the first time since 2015, and only the second time since Mac Brown was here the first time. Uh, and you could really go into the offseason with a lot of you know, a lot of momentum that you had previously lost, and it really kind of guarantees you that you're going to be a top 25 team entering next season. If you lose this game, um, then you're talking about okay, well, Carolina has lost four games in a row coming out of the uh, you know, out of a pretty good start to the season. Uh, yeah, they got Drake May coming back, but there's a lot of question marks at other spots on the team. Uh, what what is Mac Brown going to do this offseason to really address some of those issues? And that becomes more of the talking point instead of, okay, it wasn't exactly great. I mean, they got to 10 wins, which is fantastic, but it's really a, a step stone type season where they can really aim higher in 2023. So even though it's such a unique dynamic with, with uh, you know, so many different players out, coaches being out, this really is a very important game for this program. And it's, it's one that if they can win, uh, they can erase some of the grief and, and criticism that's kind of encircled them last month of the season. Jason, bring you in here. Um, you know, we've been on this team all year um, and sort of calling out or pointing out some of the deficiencies and some of the issues that have reared its head in the last couple, well, I guess in the last month or so. I guess November 19th was Georgia Tech game. Uh, and, and now going into this game, they're, they're still – a chance at some sort of redemption over the last month. Where are you on this bowl game and the importance um, for the program? Well, it's must win, right? Uh, you, uh, they all are to me. You only play 13 or 14 a year. They're all must win. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really can't add much to what, what Greg just said. I mean, it, it basically is uh, – it, it's a game that you – that in terms of your goals for the season, season and all of that is not – really toward the top but in terms of the program direction and the just general buzz about the program it's really important uh let's let's back this up let's think about this this year which team was picked to win the acc coastal by about half the media miami okay and which team was was Picked to win the ACC Atlantic by about half the media. Clemson. And who is the other half? Was it NC State? NC yeah. State. So here's the thing. Why? Why on those two programs? Well, one is one had the coaching change. So they in, in Miami wins the offseason every year. They're 20 time defending offseason champions, right? They, they, that, that's what they do. And they 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 try. I mean it. You could see this year they they mailed it in the last couple games. It looked like they were just trying to get to the off season where they're where they're more comfortable instead of having a bowl game. They want to get to the off season where they can win their title. So they're going to always have that you know buzz going into the season. But NC State, why did NC why would why did anybody think that this NC State team was going to be the team to beat in the in the ACC in the ACC Atlantic? Heisman Trophy potential winner and hype from the very end of the season before. Who was the potential Heisman Trophy winner? 
Devin Leary. Really? Kentucky starting quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, really, it boils. I'm just telling you why they they were hyped up. They were hyped up because of a miracle at the end of the season. That's why they were hyped up is because they won their last game. And they beat a good North Carolina team in their last game. Now, I said this at the beginning of the season. If they had lost that game, which by all rights, they really should have. If Carolina hadn't, you know, had uh, bowel problems in the bed. (laughs) (laughs) If Carolina finishes, finishes that game out and wins that game, then... NC State is picked to be third, maybe in the in the in the ACC Atlantic, but because they won that game, and then you remember they were going to play a bowl game, and then their opponent pulled out, and so the last thing anybody remembered was them winning in their rivalry game and finishing the year on the upswing, and what happens every year is the way a team finishes the prior season is it basically that trajectory ends up being the way that everybody talks about that team all off season. Cause it's the last thing everybody remembers. And this is why, even though bowl games are, you know, at this point people regard them as exhibitions or whatever, they're still really important in terms of establishing the messaging and the perception of your program because everybody talks about that bowl win for the next six months, seven months. And when you're on the, when you're, when you're recruiting, you know, well, you know, we, we, beat, we, we, you know, we beat a pretty good Oregon team there at the end there. We, we, we're, we're on the upswing now, you know, when you're getting those visits. So that's why it's important. I think you, you have to, as a coaching staff, you have to put extra into these games and you do everything you can to win them because not just because you're going out there. And I, I do believe like, look, we're going out and playing football. You better win. You don't play to, you know, you play to win the game, but because this, unlike most other games that are on your schedule is one that's going to impact the way people talk about you for the next six months when there's no football. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent with that. I, I mean, for a program, for the we'll say the bigger schools, Alabama. Who cares that they lost? Didn't they lose to Utah in the Sugar Bowl or something? Or, or they've they've lost bowl games before when they didn't matter to them. But for North Carolina, I think it's it's huge. Um, some questions already popping up in the chat, and I know everybody's got responsibilities. So let's get right into the actual game plan portion a little earlier than we normally do in these shows. Greg, I did the opponent preview, um, and Bo Nix, who I've picked on saying Bo picks when he was at Auburn, generally to take shots at Gregory Hall, former Inside Carolina intern, he's been fantastic this year. Somebody in the chat said, does Carolina need to sell out to get pressure on him? Uh, Your take on Carolina's approach, Gene Chizik's approach, somebody also pointed out in the chat, and George Miller, this is too soon. Last time Chiswick coached a bowl game, Baylor. And I won't read the rest of it. What do what does what do the Tar Heels do to slow down Bo Nix? Oregon's susceptible on defense. We'll talk about that. But I think they're pretty daggone good. They are. They're really good. And, and Bo Nix is a is a huge part of that. Uh Kenny Dillingham did a fantastic job with kind of getting Bo Nix settled down. But look, if you watched Bo Nix during his time at Auburn. 
and Gregory Hall would, would provide us a lot of uh, hair pulling and uh, in his descriptions about Bo Nix's time as an Auburn quarterback is that he could be really good and he could be really bad. And he very much was a roller coaster type player. And a big part of that is he, you know, we talked about Sam Howe a lot, um, kind of being the gunslinger, taking chances when he didn't need to, especially with holding on to the ball too long. Uh, Bo Nix liked to play hero ball at times, and he would make passes that were just not very smart. And he would make decisions, you know, trying to run the ball when he should have stayed in the pocket, all these types of things. And that's why when it worked, it worked very well. And when it didn't, it didn't work that well at all. And that's why a lot of Auburn fans were, were so frustrated with him. Well, he goes to Oregon, and who built the offensive line at Oregon that he's playing behind? Mario, Mario Cristobal. Who actually knows something about offensive lines. Uh, in terms of offense, maybe not, but offensive lines, <laughs> yes. Uh, Oregon this year has allowed four sacks all year long. When I read that, I was like, that, that cannot be accurate. And his first, the first sack of the year was for a one-yard loss. Um, so when Bo Nix has time and he's got a great offensive line in front of him, well, guess what? He doesn't have to play as much hero ball. And he can actually take his time and he's not pressured. And he becomes this Heisman candidate at quarterback. And that's what we've seen this year. Uh, Oregon's four sacks leads the country. Next closest is somebody with seven. Georgia. Is Georgia was seven. Uh, do, do you know, by the way, when uh, when those sacks occurred? Probably all of them against Georgia. That's what I was going to say. I mean, how many of these have happened since the Georgia game? I think I, I read also that uh, they credit one of those to a back. So the offensive line's actually only given up three. Not that there's that much. And somebody said, should Carolina sell out to get to Bo Nix? I don't know if that's the answer. Go ahead, Greg. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I think that that presents the the challenge there. And the, the, to kind of build off of that, um, when you look at passing pressure, I mean, every quarterback, and we've talked about this for years, you know, uh, they're typically elite when they're kept clean if they're really good. And even the elite guys, when they face pressure, uh, they're a step down at least. And that's the key for the really good guys. They're elite when they're kept clean. And they're not that bad when they're pressured. And that's what Drake May has been. That's why Drake May has been so good this year. Because he is elite when kept clean. Uh, Bo Nix, because really he's done such a good job uh, staying clean. I mean, he's been pressured 21% of the time this year, uh, which is phenomenal. But he's got a better grade under pressure. He's 81.9 than he does when he's kept clean at 78.5. so I understand the idea of kind of getting pressure on Bo Nix, but what Bo Nix does so well is that he sets up the run with the pass and he's able to set up the pass with the run. If you come after him and he's able to get away from you because he, he is a good runner, uh, that really just kind of exposes you and he can take advantage of you with his feet. So I think it's more about kind of keeping him contained instead of trying to get after him and getting a lot of pressure on him. Yes, if you can do that with four guys, by all means, have at it. But I don't think this is a situation where you're sending a lot of extra guys because if he makes a play, he's got one-on-one coverage down the field, or he's able to break free, and now he's running for a lot of yards. Um, I think that's really back-breaking for what North Carolina wants to do defensively. So I think this game, more than probably most others, 
is you have to try to make Oregon make mistakes, which they have not done. I think they're like number two in the country in, in first downs. Um, so it's not really a good matchup. This this is by far the best offense that, that Carolina has faced this year. Um, and so I, I'm anxious to hear what Jason has on his plate in terms of what this this defense can do. Uh, I think at this point we're talking about trying to trip up Oregon offensively, not stopping them. I think that's kind of where we're, we're, we're expecting this game plan to go. For Jason, before you get into it, for clarity, Georgia did not sack Bo Nix in that game. Wow. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Didn't need to, of course. No, and, and they still won 49-3 to without a sack. Yeah, and uh, before, I, before I hand it over to Jason, in terms of you know, talk about Bo Nix playing hero ball, uh, this is one of the things that pops out, you know, talking about how he takes chances he doesn't need to. He's got eight turnover-worthy passes, plays this year. All of them came when he was kept clean. I think that I think that speaks volumes about his his uh, tendency to to want to make something happen, even when he doesn't need to. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, Oregon also beat Utah who beat Southern Cal twice, and also they lost to Washington when Penix went nuts in one of their losses. Jason, what does Gene Chizik and his defensive staff draw up to defend Oregon? The offensive line is elite. So how does Carolina manage? It could be strength on strength, you know. Lack of sacks versus lack of sacks. (laughs) So what do they do? And I say that in jest, but, I mean, it's really been that. I mean (laughs) – what does what does Chiswick do Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon, late Wednesday afternoon in San Diego? Well, I think a couple things need to be brought in here in terms of it's not just that their offensive line is elite. It's not just that they're really good on, on in terms of personnel and all of that up front, which they are. They also a lot of this also has to do with how they scheme. And uh, Dillingham's a guy I'm actually really familiar with. Now he's not going to be calling the plays there because he just took the head head coaching job at uh, Arizona State. But, uh, of course, Dillingham went to, went to Oregon from Florida State, where he was the offensive coordinator under uh, Mike Norvell the last couple of years before, before this year. Uh, and he had coached under Norvell at Memphis as well. And, and that's, the reason that's relevant is they're out at Oregon, they are running Mike Norvell's offense, essentially. Uh, the Dillingham, you know, fork off of Norvell's offense. And what that means is it, it starts at the running game. And it also means that they're going to do a lot to protect the quarterback just schematically and make it so that you're just not going to get a lot of opportunities for sacks. So that's part of it is just schematically. If you're, if you're rushing the passer against this team, if that's your priority, you're just going to get run all over because they're going to take advantage of you getting upfield, trying to get after the quarterback and they're going to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands and they're going to attack you in the seams and all of this really quickly and you're going to wind up you know getting carved up pretty good what you have to do against this type of offense against essentially norvell's offense and against you know dillingham's offense against what they're running at at oregon is you've got to stop the run you've got to limit the run first and foremost and if you look at their their uh rush statistics on the season they're averaging 5.45 yards per carry that's healthy Right. That's that's pretty good. And that and they're doing that, by the way, without what I would call elite backs. They've got good, OK backs. 
but they don't uh, they're they're not getting they're not getting uh, uh, hit in the backfield a whole lot because they they scheme it really well and they use the quarterback in the running game really well. If you sell out to stop the the running back and all of a sudden you're going to have Knicks running on you. Uh, and they do, a, they just do a really good job of, of forcing you to defend every gap and they'll go to wherever you're not, uh, wherever your weakness is up front, wherever you're misaligned or whatever. And they're going to give you a lot of different formational stuff up front to, to cause problems for you in terms of being misaligned. And then they're going to run the football. And if you look at the games that they struggled, it's not the games that Nick's had, you know, that there's more pressure on Nick's or that, you know, he was just missing targets or whatever. It's the games where they couldn't run the football as well. They lost to Oregon state in that last game, Oregon state, by the way, beat them with six completions. Oregon state only threw the football six, uh, 13 times and only completed six passes and beat them because they won the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And Oregon only averaged 3.4 yards per carry in that game. And that's why they, that's why they didn't ultimately put up as much as you would expect on offense. They still scored 34 points, by the way. But 3.4 yards per carry against Oregon State in a loss. They beat Utah, averaging 2.36 yards per carry. But Utah, again, that was a three-point game. Uh, you, you go down the list of, their, of, their, of the games that they really struggled in, and it's teams that found ways to keep them a little bit a little bit one-dimensional and also found ways to uh, to make sure that they didn't beat them over the top. So in that sense, this kind of plays to what Chiswick and Carolina have been trying to do, which is don't let teams beat you over the top and then try to stop the run. And I think that really has to be the recipe here. You have to try to find ways to limit the run game and to make sure that you don't give up big plays in the passing game, make them, make them beat you with a lot of possession passing to the outside, doing all that stuff, protect your seams, protect over the top and do everything you can to, to win and get a tackle for loss here or a tackle for no gain there to try to get them behind the sticks. Cause they're going to play ahead of the sticks in their offense. That's what they do. And if you don't let them, if you let them do that, it's going to be really tough. And Carolina already played an offense that does this. Right, this is the same offense that Kevin Johns is running at 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 Duke, essentially. So, essentially, your plan for what you did against Duke is what you have to do here. You're just doing it against a much better set of talent. Yep, and, and Greg, Carolina's had some success stopping the run. I mean, they stopped Clemson from running. They stopped NC State from running. Uh, they they've they didn't really stop Duke from running, um, and it turned into a Drake May show, uh, but. You know, is this a doable thing for Carolina here, Greg? Uh, you know, I don't want to poo-poo it totally because obviously we'll talk about the offense and the Holiday Bowls are known for being ridiculous shootouts. But to Jason's point, um, what needs to happen for Carolina to get this done um, on this defensive side? I mean, is it is it the front four again that we've talked about so much? Is it the back end doing their job? Where are we? I think it's everything with as much as this, as much as this defense has struggled. Um, I mean, I, I can't stress enough the fact that Carolina has not, uh, has not faced a unit like this. Um, and I think that's a, 
that's the challenge. That's the concern. And I go back, and I'm not equating this to 2015, but I think the, the background is, is relative. In, in 2015, when Gene Chizik came the first time, he was up front and saying, look, this is a process in terms of implementing scheme. It's going to be very based our first year. We're going to add to it the second year. And it was really that third year in 2017 where in the preseason, John Papucha said, all right, we finally have everything in. You know, this, this is a this is a process. And Gene was very adamant that everybody was going to know their responsibilities before we started adding more to it. And when I asked Gene about this same approach this offseason back in the spring, he said, yeah, it's going to be the same. That's kind of the idea. Um, I would imagine that you know, there's there's more in place than what there probably was in 2015. But the reason I bring that up is when, when Carolina got to that bowl game against Baylor and Baylor mixed things up, you know, they were down to their uh, basically a wide receiver turned quarterback and they didn't have their their top wide receiver. And so they really relied on that run game. And the word coming out of the Keenan Football Center after that game was, look, like they were literally drawing up plays in the dirt on the sideline because they did not have enough defense in to adequately defend what Baylor wanted to do. Um, I imagine Gene understands that Oregon is going to do what they do, and they do it very well. So there's been some extra pieces kind of put in, I, I would hope, I would assume so. Uh, but this is going to be just a big test. So I, I think it's up and down the, the board. And I, I think more than anything, what Carolina has to do very well is you got to eliminate the uh, catastrophic plays. You can't give up the massive chunk plays down the field in the passing game. And you have to tackle well in space. And if you can do those things, you have the opportunity to get off the field on occasion. Uh, I, I think Oregon's going to score points. That's what they do. That They've done it very well. I think they're one of four teams to score 40 or more p- points in eight games this year. Um, so this is an elite offense. And so it really is more about you try to trip them up, try to get a turnover or two if you can, make them punt. Um, and if you can do that a number of times, then you're going to put the, the ball in Drake May's hands and then really let the offense try to go win this thing. If they can get, if they can force three punts in this game, <laughs> they're doing pretty well given this matchup. I mean, we, we got to have realistic expectations given what we've seen from, from Carolina's defense and from what we've seen from this, uh, this Oregon offense. If, if Oregon punts even twice in this game, Carolina's defense has, that might be more than expectation. I mean, three would be, I think if, if you force three punts in this game, you're, you're really happy with yourselves. Jason, if Carolina, somebody Garrett Chapman in chat said, might be like the App State game. Absolutely could be. Uh, who is a – give me one or two players on Carolina's defense that if they've done what you say they've done, they played well and they or they played exceptional. Drake May. No, we're on defense. We're, I, we're, I, I know. I'm just saying the best <laughs> defense for, for Carolina in this one is going to be a good offense. <laughs> give me a defensive player. <laughs> uh I think, I think really the the two corners have to play really well in this game. Uh, you know, you're going out there without Grimes and without Duck, and really, I mean, just in general, the the corners and the defensive backfield as a, as a whole, they've got to play well because uh, one of the other things that that this offense that that what Dillingham put in place out there, they're going to do. They're gonna they're gonna 
put a lot of pressure on you vertically uh, to, to force you to basically be able to defend the whole field and, and they're going to, they're going to be able to throw those. Well, uh, the thing that I'm, I might be most concerned about if I'm, if I'm Chiswick on this is the way that they, they've thrown, they've thrown the post route really, really well. Uh, and they've put a lot of pressure on inside coverage players on some of that deep stuff. So you're looking at matchups where you're getting safeties having to cover your number one or number two receiver on a post out of a, out of a slot position. That's not been a good thing for Carolina this year, right? You're looking at safeties one-on-one having to cover downfield on a, on a vertical. That's not gone well. Uh, So to me, it's the, it's the defensive backfield that has to absolutely be sound. They've got to, they've got to make sure that they're just not letting guys run free downfield and make big plays so you know you're okay with them with with Oregon getting your 30 40 yard play here and there what you can't let that what you can't let happen is those turn into a 57 you know 65 yard touchdown you've got to give yourself chances to force field goals you do and I think that's what this game comes down to is you've got to find ways to make tackles on the back end and to be sound enough on the back end that they're not just shelling you over the top for walking or run in touchdowns in the, in the passing game. Uh, and also when they get, you know, run, run plays that are down that, that are into the secondary, you got to make those tackles so that once you get into the red zone, is there a way that you can force a field goal here or there? That's, I think that's what you've got to do to win this game. You've got to force some field goals. You've got to force them to actually not score touchdowns from outside the red zone. And then when they're in the red zone, you've got to force some field goals. I think that's how you've got to do it in this game. Yeah, Tommy, Carolina has faced five uh, top 50 offenses, uh, according to FEI, which is per possession scoring advantage based on adjusted opposition. Uh, Those five games, Carolina has allowed 41.4 points per game. And I know a lot of people don't like to count the App State game for whatever reason. So if we remove the App State game from the equation against the other four teams, Carolina has allowed 36.5 points. Um, so the, the very much this is a game where if you can hold Oregon under 40, uh, I think you, you've done about as good of a job as you can. Yeah, a couple of points I'll make. If the ball hits your hands, you have to catch it. And if it's on the grass or on the turf, you have to pick it up. And and Carolina cannot let uh, dropped interceptions, missed opportunities, getting some fumbles. If Oregon puts it there, um, they got to take advantage of that. So we're going to take a break, and we'll come back and talk about – we'll revisit the Drake May portion of the program. (laughs) This has been the game plan. This is the game plan, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Holidays are over. Or at least Christmas is over, but Johnny T-shirt still mm. there. Still needs your support. Still Woo. needs you to take advantage of the ten percent off as a premium Inside Carolina subscriber. And it's a great time to get it. I mean, recruiting is heating up on basketball side, on football side. You get all of the breakdowns, everything you need from Inside Carolina Premium. If you didn't get it for Christmas, use some of that Christmas money and get it. It's worth it. And then you can save money at Johnny T-shirt and Johnny T-shirt.com. National guys pay the bills. It's nine thirty in the morning on a Tuesday. Shout out to the 160 plus folks that are joining us live. We'll be right back.
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, boys. I said it before. This is the game plan. This is Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. That's Greg and Jason. And now to the Drake May portion of the program. Uh, Jason, go ahead. <laughs> I, I think this is – I think with Oregon's uh, opt-outs and go guys going pro, I think Drake May has an opportunity here um, to sort of reassert himself on the national scene after falling off the last three weeks, what sayeth you? I mean, it's every they, they're going to have every opportunity to do it. I mean, this has not been a good Oregon defense on the year. Uh, obviously, Dan Lanning is no no fool when it comes to coaching on the defensive side. I mean, he's he was the the defensive coordinator for Georgia last year, uh, and contrary to what you might think, I mean, oh well, you know that's Kirby's defense. Yeah, that's Kirby's defense, but Lanning ran it. And, you know, he knows what he's doing. So you're going to be facing uh, a defense that runs basically Georgia's defensive scheme. That's what they run. So same basic defensive stuff that you saw from Bateman for the most part on the back end as well. Um, You know, you're going to get your standard quarter stuff with some Ripley's thrown in there. They'll rotate to single safety and do some of that. A lot of pattern matching. Uh, They're trying to make it so that nothing's easy problem is they just don't have George's personnel <laughs> and so you know and it turns out a lot of teams don't um so you know that it, it gets hard to hard to do that if you don't have players up front who are who are um able to to cause havoc in the run game and a couple of their best players there are are opt-outs their best corner their best db is out is an opt-out so now you're 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 playing with even less talent than than what you had before, and this is a defense that's given up a lot of stuff over the top. It's given up a lot of stuff in the running game. Uh, you look at, you go through their game or their game log, and the place where they've, you know, they've given up a bunch. Oregon State averaged six point two three yards per carry, Utah four point three, Washington five point eight. UCLA averaged 6.2 and that actually is a, is an offense that, you know, that, that one's a, a number that's relevant because they're, they're, they're running, they ran a lot of the same sorts of things that I think you're going to see Carolina run in this game. Uh, so they've been vulnerable on the ground. And then that's, that's what's set up a lot of those problems in the air for them is that teams have been able to run it well enough to be multidimensional and then, they faced a bunch of good quarterbacks, a bunch of decent quarterbacks out there in the Pac-12, 
and they've given up a lot. So I think there's an opportunity for Carolina here to put up a lot of points. This, to me, looks like a traditional holiday bowl. You know, I mean, what, what, Greg, do you know what the record is for most points scored in a holiday bowl? I do not. It's got to be high. We're looking uh, up I'm, I'm looking that up now. So is this, while you're looking up that, Jason, is this a game that Drake needs to go to work, um, you know, at a high level, or does Carolina need to run the football? Which is the more important side of the equation for Carolina on offense? I, I think actually in this case, because you have Drake May, because you know what you're going to get on in the passing game in general, I think the, the first thing is, is making sure you run it well enough that you're giving him opportunities to throw when, you know, sort of in, in rhythm and in, uh, in that, uh, uh, when he's comfortable. You know, I, I don't think this is a situation where you just drop back and, and throw it 70 times because they do have the ability to get some pressure on you. I think you need to be balanced enough. And because they've given up a lot of run, rushing yards on the season, you know, you, you've got some chances. So, by the way, I looked it up 91 points, 46, 45 BYU over SMU in 1980. There's a real good chance that that that's going to be threatened in this in this this holiday bowl, I think. So <laughs> it'd be that, fun to watch. Yeah. We could be looking at a, at a game that's, you know, something like 52 to 45 uh, given the, uh, given the two offenses and defenses that are playing in this. So, but yeah, I think you've got to be multidimensional enough. You've got to run it well enough to let Drake may then be Drake may on your terms rather than basically doing it because you have no other choice. That's a great point there. Greg, what you got? Uh, I mean, I was looking at the Holiday Bowl games too. Texas, Mike probably remembers this one. Texas 52, Arizona State 34 back in 2007. Uh, you got um, USC 45, Nebraska 42 and 14. Yeah, I, I, see a, I see a traditional Holiday Bowl here. Greg? Oh, yeah. Greg, yeah, I, uh, Carolina's offense versus that Oregon defense. Who, and, and I think folks need to – recognize what Jason talked about Gonzalez Johnson and Sewell out for mm-hmm. Notre, for uh, Oregon and those guys were studs for them all year and yeah. Justin Flo also they're they're all world linebacker in the transfer portal yeah yeah he didn't play much at all this year um yeah Gonzalez he led the team in interceptions with four uh DJ Johnson led the team in sacks with six uh and I think you have to kind of flip that and look at Carolina and say uh, Carolina's best defender and Cedric Gray decided to come back. So uh, Carolina won the opt out portion of the ball game. Right. I mean, Unlike. Josh Downs is a big loss for sure. Um, but you also have the situation where I, mean, I think Oregon's over 20 guys now that they have lost either to the draft or to the portal. Carolina's not quite at that level. Uh, so it is going to look quite different. Um, I think the, I think the key is for, North Carolina to be able, and I think Jason's right on point here, but is to be able to run the ball somewhat effectively. Uh, and I know we've harped a lot on some of the struggles in the red zone. Uh, I mean, they've, they've struggled the last couple of weeks. Again, granted, they played good defenses of being able to generate much of a rushing attack at all. And that's allowed teams to really get after Drake. Um, and as I mentioned with, with Bo Nix earlier, you know, Bo was really even in terms of when he's kept clean versus under pressure. 
Drake is not. I mean, if you look at Drake's numbers, he had a 94 grade when kept clean this year, which is <laughs> elite of the elite. And then that plummets to 65 uh, when he's under pressure. And it, he's he's a redshirt freshman. None of that's surprising. Um, but when you're talking about, what, I think 38 sacks. Yeah, sacked 38 times. That's that's not very good. And so I, I think if North Carolina can establish a run game and have success to where Lonnie Galloway is able to use both the run game and the pass game, then, yeah, they're going to be able to score quite a bit. And I think Oregon, if, they, if they're able to slow down the run whatsoever and get some pressure after Drake, that's when things can kind of go sideways for, for North Carolina. Um, one thing I kind of want to get into, and this is a little bit off-tangent, Tommy, but a lot of people have just been looking at the raw numbers between Oregon's defense and Carolina's defense. Uh, North Carolina, in terms of the raw numbers, Carolina's 105 nationally in points allowed at 31. Oregon's at 76 nationally, giving up 27.4. This is where the advanced metrics tell us a little bit different story. Um, in terms of FEI, this is wild. Oregon has played the number two team, number two offense in the country in USC, the number four offense in the country in Georgia, the number five offense in the country in Washington, the number seven offense in the country in UCLA, and the number 15 offense in the country in Utah. The best offense that Carolina's faced is Wake at number 18. The worst offense that Oregon's defense has faced was number 89, Stanford. Carolina has played five ACC teams ranked worse than Stanford this year. Um, so when we talk about kind of how bad this defense has been, this defense has greatly benefited by playing really bad offenses, and the numbers are still what they are. Uh, so is Oregon a great defense? No, not whatsoever. Uh, but it is a step up from what Carolina has been all year. Now, when you take away Gonzalez and Sewell and Johnson, maybe we're, we're leveling the playing field here. Uh, but I, I think – Fans need to understand that when you go into this game, it's not like Carolina is going to be facing its own defense on the other side of the ball. Oregon does have, has had more success just because they've played so many really good offenses. It doesn't really show up in some of the stats. So Oregon's played five top 15 offenses. Carolina's highest defense or offense they faced was 18th. And Carolina has faced five offenses worst worse than the worst offense that Oregon's face. Correct. You're, you're not giving us the rosy feelings here, Greg. Uh, I'm just trying to set the, the proper perspective. Um, <laughs> now, having said that, uh, you know, the teams, it's not like Oregon is, has shut down these offenses that I listed out, and that's why some of the numbers aren't very impressive. <laughs> sure haven't. Uh, so, so Carolina has an opportunity to, to move the ball. I just think it's going to be a little bit tougher probably for Carolina to move the ball than it is for Oregon. And that's, look, you have to play the game. We can't just look at the numbers. And that's why I really think it's important that if Carolina is able to do a few things well, if they're able to, to maybe win the turnover battle, if they're able to force an extra punt or two, um, if they're able actually to run the ball a little bit better, I mean, running you know, four yards per carry versus three and a half yards per carry is a big difference. So just little things like that along the margins is where Carolina has to really excel, and that gives them an opportunity to potentially win this game. Let's uh, let's, let's start wrapping up this, but I do want to ask this question, Jason. What 
both teams don't have offensive coordinator um, in place, at least call in place. So Lonnie Galloway will call him for North Carolina. What do you think we might see any differently than we've seen all year? I, I mean, everybody talks about bowl games or, you know, trick playerations and all that kind of stuff. I mean, Lonnie Galloway calling plays, how does that change things if it does? I don't know that it really does that much. I mean, the the thing is, you're still running the same offense that your that your prior coordinator installed. You you don't install a whole new offense in that situation. You're still running the same set of plays, the same stuff that you've had installed all year. You might just have a couple additional wrinkles. I mean, and you always do for bowl bowl games and that sort of thing, just because you've got extra time to prepare. So as you're installing the specific stuff for that week. Well, now you got extra weeks to prep, so you know you can install a handful more plays, some specials as they call them, uh, with some you know wrinkles in there and, and all of that that you that you keep in your in your script. But I, I don't really expect a ton different in that in that regard. I mean, uh, some guys, I mean, there's there's some stuff around the edges that can that you can change where you know some guys will tend towards. Uh, you know, never met a pass, pass call, pass play that they didn't like. And others, you know, are a little bit more uh, balanced by nature in that respect. And so to some degree, game day play calling can be affected on that. You know, a few additional runs or a few additional passes based on who's actually calling it. But for the most part, there's not a ton of difference because you're still going through the same preparation as a staff. You're still establishing that like, okay, this down and distance against this personnel group this point in the, in, uh, on the field, here's the play that we're most likely to run. Here's the, you know, set of four plays that we've got for these situations and we'll cycle through those. It's still pretty much the same sort of thing. So I don't expect a whole lot of different stuff for this one. Um, I mean, you are obviously losing the comfort level as a play caller that, 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 you know, Longo could get into a rhythm at times. And so you do lose that, uh, but we don't. It, it's a bit of a black box as far as as far as both teams are concerned in terms of that aspect of it. But in terms of the offense that you're going to see, you're going to see the same offenses that that have played all year. Yeah, Tommy, what Jason just said, I think is very important for for listeners to understand. Uh, this is not the old school type of offense that that is run nowadays, where it's you. Know, John Sheep's a great example. He's got this you know, mad scientist, super thick playbook where he's flipping through the pages and he's trying to figure out what plays to call on any given down. We're, we're past that. And it really is. There, there's so much prep that takes place during the week in which the coaching staff decides, all right, well, look, when we're in this situation, this is the handful of plays that we're going to run here. And when we're on third and short, this is the group of plays that we're going to call here. And you really just, when you get to game day, it's not like you're saying, well, it's third and three. What do we do? It's, okay, well, we've got this group of plays. We're going to go. We've got this formation they're in. We like this. We're going to pick A. Or we're going to pick C. <laughs> uh, and that's that's a lot of what it is. Now, as Jason said, you do have the rhythm component, which is where I think you're, you're going to feel a change in most at all. But in terms of the actual play calling, a lot of what Carolina and Oregon are going to be doing it's what they've been doing all year long. And it's kind of the same setup in terms of preparing during the week. You know, Fedora talked about it a lot. Fans didn't like it because it's kind of the leading edge of this coming into North Carolina. But he was very much like, 
doesn't really matter who's calling plays on game day, but we, we, we know exactly what we're trying to do. There's only a handful of options here. It's not as big of a deal as you people want to make it. Um, and so I've been beating that drum for 20 years. So there is a little bit of an art to it, but I think now it's gotten much more to where it's kind of a science. Uh, and it's very much in this situation, we, we know these are our options and that's what we're going to do. And, and that, that works that way on defense too, by the way, it works that way on defense. Yeah. Where, you know, they, they, if you go through and I've got, you know, some of Brent Venables, for example, old uh, prep sheets for a given game. And, uh, you know, I, I ought to actually uh, use this as a, as, as an example during the off season for, for how this works. Uh, but, you know, it basically has, okay, this down and distance from, you know, this area of the field. And then it's got, breakdown of that team's formation tendencies this percentage of this this percentage of this this percentage of this this percentage of this and then that trees out to okay if they're in this personnel grouping from here here's the three highest percentage plays that they've run from here and they're they're calling their defense and then they've got their defensive calls off of that so it's basically a decision tree of okay they're here on the field here's their three highest percentage things out of this personnel group personnel grouping from this point on the field. And then, you know, here's the thing, here's the low percentage thing that they've done a couple times to take shots that we need to be aware of. And it's on the, on the sheet. And then they've got their calls that, that are designed to go against that. That's what they do. Everybody does it this way. All the, all the, all, nearly all the play calling prep is done before game day. If you're doing it on game day, you're unprepared. Yeah. And it's sort of what we talked about, tendency breakers and, and things like that that happen. I asked Chizik about that one of the press conferences, about the personnel groupings on third and nine versus third and four and all that kind of stuff. And he sort of talked about what you said. You know, we know what they like to do, and we prep for it, and we counter with it. All right, let's do some predictions. Jason, I know you got a, a other obligations here in a few minutes, so let's get out of here on time like we always have. Who am I going to start with? <laughs> I feel like I need to start with Greg. Predictions, Greg. What happens and how's it end up? I guess 8 o'clock Eastern on Wednesday night on Fox with Gus Johnson on the call. Uh, I think North Carolina comes out better than they did against South Carolina in the bowl game last year. Uh, I think they were uh, embarrassed about what happened in, in Charlotte. Um, I think this is a little bit better team than what they showed in that game. It really showed the last three games of the year. Uh, I, I do think that Oregon, and granted they've they've lost some as we've talked about on the defensive side of the ball. I think Oregon's probably the best team that they will have faced this year, and I, I think that offense is going to be just a little bit too much. And I, I think Carolina plays well, uh, and they have a respectable performance, but it's just not enough. So I've got Oregon winning this one, forty-two thirty-one. All right, That's real close. That's probably the under, isn't it? It is. Just yeah, barely. Uh, over under is 75. So, yeah, that's just barely under. And, and I think Oregon's favored by 14 and a half last I checked. 13 and a half from what I'm looking at here. But it's okay. it's been 14. It's been hovering in that range. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm i with Greg here uh, by and large. I, I think this is a this is a poor matchup for, for this Carolina team. Um. It's not a game that Carolina can't win. I've said this from before the season, 
before the season started, I, I basically said, look, any game that Drake may is going to play quarterback, you're going to have a chance to win. That I still believe that I believe that before they played a game this year, as long as you've got that guy under center, as long as you got that guy taking snaps, you've got a chance to win every game, but things are, everything's going to have to go just right for this, for Carolina to win this game. Uh, I, I think just in terms of matchups, this is a team that's played offenses that are better than Carolina's offense. And it's won a couple of those games. And it's a game that, and it's a team that uh, Carolina has not played an offense anywhere as anywhere near as good as, as Oregon's. Uh, the thing that, that gives you the most hope is those is all the players that are sitting out for uh, Oregon's defense, which gives you the hope that, that you can score enough points to make this a shootout and win that way. But ultimately I think, the the team that is going to be able to get a couple stops here and there is the team that that has shown the ability to do it this year, uh, and and I think that's more likely to be Oregon. Uh, I think it'll be a little higher scoring game than what Greg's got, so I'm going to go with uh, with Oregon winning as well, uh, for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, go with Oregon, say forty, Oregon uh, Oregon fifty two. Uh, North Carolina, 41. Wow, that's a big one. I got 48-44. I got 48-44, whoever's got the ball last. <laughs> I don't know who had the ball last. And I am I suck at predictions, so I'm not going to make one other than that. Um, I think it'll be a fun game to watch. You know, it, it is one, like I said, to open the show, I think it's very important for North Carolina football um, to sort of turn the tide going into 2023 because of what you said, Jason. Nobody remembers what happened in October and November um, during the offseason. They all remember the very end of the season, and, and Carolina needs some positivity going into that. Uh, guys, it's been fun. This is our, what, a nine, three, nine, four, 15th, 14th game plan podcast this year. Um, somebody asked, would we do a postmortem on the season? Sure, at some point. Oh, yeah. We will digest everything uh, and get back together and discuss it. Jason and I, along with Buck Sanders, will be with you Thursday morning, same time, 9 a.m., to do the day after. Greg Barnes and I, at some point, will do a next level, probably next week. Wednesday games are uh, messed with the schedule a little bit. But, guys, it's always been a pleasure. Johnny T-Shirt certainly our sponsors. Mm. Um, hope everybody's had safe and warm holidays. Greg, safe travels. Jason. We'll talk soon, my friend. The time has come for drag queens to save the world. Drag queens save the world. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. <laughs> Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame. RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.